Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to pick up on the last verse we finished with last week. Verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God, I thank you for your word. Truly, you were not surprised by anything because you have declared what will come. God, you have a design and a purpose of salvation that you've already, in, in, in the glory of your purpose, you've shown on the cross, Lord Jesus, to provide salvation for our sins so that through faith in you we can be saved, we can be made clean, we can walk in a relationship with an almighty God who knows, who declares the end from the beginning. God, help us to understand your word rightly this morning and to learn from it apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the beginning of chapter 24, there was a question that the disciples asked, and and Jesus is continuing to answer that. Um, Back in verse 3, if you look back there, um, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And these things, uh, he just talked about the destruction of the temple. He'd he'd been talking to the Pharisees about his future coming. Um, They didn't really understand. They just say, when are these things going to happen? And what's going to be the sign, right? Sign of your coming Um, and the end of the age. And so he begins with telling them, last week we went through, here's what's coming right away, and it's not what you expect. You need to be ready because there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, there's going to be things happening um, before the end, right? What you're thinking is just right around the corner is actually going to be some time off uh, into the future, and really what he was talking about is the time we're in now still, and so those were good warnings for us, good information for us to be aware of um, And so he's still answering um, the end of that question. Well, and and what's the sign of your coming? What's what's the sign of the end of the age? We're going to get into the sign of his coming later on. But he finished up last week with, and then the end will come. And so then in verse 15, actually, let's. yeah, that was in verse 14. The end will come. He finishes there. Then goes into verse 15. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, here's the sign he's pointing them to. This is going to be the thing that, that you're asking for the sign of when you, we get there at the end. Look for this. And when you see that, and, and Matthew adds some some extra uh, emphasis with parentheses. We'll get into that a little bit later, but he says, let the reader understand. And Jesus wouldn't have said, let the reader understand as he's talking to his disciples. This is Matthew adding a, just an, an extra emphasis there. It's okay, you know what this is, right? Point, this is something you need to pay attention to. You Jews, you disciples, 
you disciples later on as we read this, recognize this. Because things are going to go down at that point. Right? It's going to be really bad. And, and that's basically the substance. It doesn't tell us what's going to happen at that point. If you want to know more about what happens at that point, a good portion of the book of Revelation tells us what's happening at that point. But, but the seriousness of it is definitely in his words. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Um, who's in Judea? Israel. Uh, Right? We, we call that region Palestine today. It wasn't always called Palestine. That's Judea, right? Those who are in that region flee to the mountains. Get out of town. You see this thing, this abomination of desolation. Get out of town quick. It's going to get really bad. Uh, let the one who is on the housetop not go down. Don't wait, right, <laughs> to take what is in his house. There's this, there's this impending doom. Get out of there Quick, um, let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. I mean, get out of there. It's going to get bad. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, anyone who's in a situation where that's going to be the worst possible thing in your time of life, for that to happen, alas, for them. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, right? You get the picture. When you see this sign, this abomination of desolation, it's going to get bad. And he says then in verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation. This is where we get the term, the great tribulation. There will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world. There's been a lot of bad stuff. There's going to be great tribulation like there has never been, and there will never be again after it. All right. What's the great tribulation? What happened in Daniel? Um, like I've said before, this chapter is probably one of the most contested chapters in the Bible just because it's this anchor point that ties to a lot of other prophetic Scripture, of things that are going to happen in the future, and people have different ideas about what's going to happen in the future. And it can be overwhelming sometimes when you start reading through or watching YouTube videos or, 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 or just getting input from different people. Oh, this is what this means. This is what this means. Right? Um, there's a lot of great material out there. We, we went to a great, if you got a chance to go to the, the conference yesterday, the apologetics conference, that was awesome. And, and in that conference, it was like this fire hose of information that you're getting. You know, sometimes that can feel overwhelming and intimidating that, well, how can I stand a chance to, to be the one to figure these things out? Right? I want to encourage you this morning. You have what you need, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you to just read God's Word. And any scholar, any person telling you, me telling you, here's what this means, you can read it for yourself. And, get it, and, and you can get a sense, is that ring true? Or is something not right there? Right? You don't have to be a scholar to do that. And as we get into these things, I, 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 in some ways, I, I want to just encourage you in how to interpret God's Word and to be encouraged that you can. You can read it and understand it. Um, and here's the first, the first two points in the notes we're going to cover right off the bat. First one is, when you're reading God's Word, always prefer the plain meaning. You don't have to go and find some hidden... You know, there's, there's things that God hides intentionally in God's Word, but prefer the plain meaning. There's a thing that shows up in, in prophecy, and we can see because there's a lot of prophecy that has been fulfilled already, and we can just look at, well, how does God do this? What's the pattern? What's His MO with prophecy? And a lot of times what you'll find is to whoever was reading that prophecy when it first was written, it, it's hard to understand what is this talking about, right? Right? Um, a virgin will give birth. Uh, this 
king who's also a servant, who's going to suffer, who's... What, what, what is that all about, right? And, and if you read through, like Isaiah 53, if you didn't know what's going to happen, they were uh, just mystified by what was there. But here's how the way God's, God's prophecy often works is that while it is mystifying, when the thing comes to be, a child could make the connection. It's obvious. To God's glory, look, 30 pieces of silver really was 30 pieces of silver. It wasn't some crazy idea, figurative, imagining what... Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces. It was... Sometimes we go too far, and the experts will go too far to try to say, oh, well, this really means this and this. You know you can make it mean whatever you want. But there's something that God does that goes to the most basic, simple child of God that just reads what's there, says, I believe it. Maybe I don't understand it yet, but it says this, and it's going to happen. Right? Prefer the plain meaning. There's a, there's a story that's been in church forever. I don't know where it started. Um, I think it's been told so many different ways. I don't know that there's any ounce of truth in it originally, but um, uh, it, one way that it goes is that there's a pastor who's like, oh, he, he got a turn to go teach the, the, the kids' Sunday school class, right? And so he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to use, for an analogy, I, I want to teach them about preparing for the future, so I'm going to use a squirrel as an analogy as they, they store up things for the future. And so he tells the kids there, he says, all right, it's, it's, I'm going to start describing something. As soon as one of you recognizes what I'm talking about, just raise your hand, right? And so he says... Um, this thing, it lives in trees and it eats nuts. And he looks around, no hands, right? It has a, it's gray and has a long bushy tail. No hands. Like, oh boy, these kids are going to be tough. Uh, it jumps from branch to branch. Uh, it chitters. And, and when it's nervous, it, it flips its tail. Finally, one of the kids inches his hand up and he says, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> we, get, we get so pulled into what the answer is supposed to be. We go into these passages and we read all these commentaries. And even in your Bible, it has a heading. You know those headings weren't a part of the original scripture? I said, okay, well, that must be what this is about. What's a, they're great and helpful. And actually, it's a great resource. But just understand... You can just read what's plainly there. You're going, that sure looks like a squirrel. You say it's this thing over here. Prefer the plain meaning. I love it when I'm in a Bible study and we're all so smart about what this is and then a brand new believer just raises their hand and says, it sure sounds like it's saying this. You know what? You're right. It is saying that, right? So I want you to have the confidence. Even, we're going to go into some scripture. That's, it's prophecy scripture. It, it gets difficult. And, it's, and, and there's a lot of things that, that are just pictures of things in the, in the future. But just understand God gives us his word so that when the things happen, it'll be plain and obvious. And so when you look at that and I say, well, this means this. And you go, well, I don't know. Be like the Bereans. When Paul went into Berea and, and he was saying, here's what the Old Testament say about Jesus, they went to their Bible to see if what he said was true. You can do that too. It doesn't matter how smart or scholarly someone is. Uh, you can just look. What is it saying? It sure seems like it's saying this. It's a squirrel. All right. Second point in, in, in approaching Scripture, second point in the notes Details are important. Details are important, and this gets into recognizing who the author is. Right? Jesus makes a whole argument against the Pharisees based on an introduction made in a psalm. Paul makes a whole theological case in, in Galatians based on whether the context for the word seed was plural or singular. God's word is God's word. And, and often when, when you see scholars or just anyone going through and saying, well, here, I've got it figured out. Here's how it's all going to work together. And, and 
in the process, they're dismissing details, and they're dismissing details, and, and it's like, well, yeah, that's, I'm not sure about that, but look at this. No, it's okay for you to raise your hand and say, that looks like a squirrel, right? That, that's a detail there that doesn't fit with what you're saying. I don't know how it fits. And, and what you would hope is that they come back and say, well, you're right, let's, let's try to reconcile that. And if you can't, don't try to explain it away. There's so many ways to explain Scripture away. Well, that's figurative. Well, the one that bothers me the most between the Gospels is, well, Matthew fixed that from Mark. <laughs> no, Mark is just as inspired as Matthew is. If it says it in Mark and, and it doesn't fit my interpretation that I'm getting out of Matthew, well, Mark is the Holy Spirit is writing that. Don't get so far into Mark and Matthew to lose sight that God is the author in all those things. When it finally comes to the end and we're done and we look back, Jesus says everything, even the punctuation. Now, we, there's some things we... we we looked at, at the conference at how confident we can be in God's Word, but there are some punctuations that are probably lost in all of the... But, but we have a confidence of what we have here, right? But Jesus says every, everything is going to be completed. And so let's pay attention to everything, right? Back in the late 1800s, Sir Robert Anderson... He was the chief investigator at Scotland Yard. He probably had a cool accent. Um, late 1800s, right in the middle of all sorts of criticism on the Bible. Criticism, especially of passages we're about to jump into, because Jesus says, look back in Daniel. Well, we're going to go look back in Daniel. Daniel was under incredible attack at that time. Why? Because Daniel so clearly, in many details, outlines what happens uh, uh, for the period of time from, from the, the destruction, or from the building of the, of the second temple, all the way to Christ coming, uh, you have all of these events, I mean, specifics about how this army's going to come from here, and that's going to come. And then as these things unfold, you see, oh, that was, uh, that was Alexander the Great. And then, oh, there were four kingdoms that came out of it. Yeah, when he died, uh, the kingdom split into four. Wow, that's very specific. And they came from the east. Yeah, they did. They indeed did come from the east, right? It's very specific, and you can't get around how clearly Daniel predicts, not Daniel, but God prophesying in Daniel predicts what's going to happen. And so a lot of attack was happening at that time to try to say, no, Daniel couldn't have been written there because there's no way anybody could predict the future. So it had to have been written later, and there was different chapters of Daniel under attack, attacking Daniel as the author. Um, and so Sir Robert Anderson, not only was he a, an investigator, he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And he was fed up, not just with those that are attacking, but the attempts of believers to explain uh, against those attacks, right? And, and in, in desperation, because they hadn't, didn't have answers, they were stretching Scripture. They weren't paying attention to details. They weren't taking the plain meaning. And he's going, no, we should. he trusted God. This is God's Word. We should be able to find answers in it. And so as an investigator who would find a piece of evidence on a crime scene, and he wouldn't take that evidence and say, well... I'm building a case over here this evidence doesn't fit to, so let's just put that aside, right? That's not how he would work. It, it, and so he approached the Scriptures in the same way he would a crime scene, where every detail mattered. And, and what it said plainly was important. And he went in and looked at the passage that we are about to go into, which is the 70 weeks of Daniel. And they couldn't explain it. And it was under attack. What is this about? It doesn't point to anything. You add up the days and it doesn't go anywhere that's meaningful. And so he showed a reverence for God's Word, a faith in God's Word, that it's true. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to do some investigating along with him. Um, we're not going to go into every detail of that. 
Um, but we're not investing in crime scene. We're investigating the plan of God. That's what you do when you go into the Bible. It's an incredible thing. You're looking at, what is God's plan? Well, what did God do in the past? But also, what is God's plan for the future? Right? Um, so, looking at this, we're going to build a chart. It's so hard to go into anything uh, in, in prophecy. I love this picture because we're on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem, right? That, that's the place. This is right where Jesus was talking to them even. So, 70 weeks prophesied in Daniel. Um, when Jesus uh, says, actually, go look at verse 15 real quick. So, when Jesus says in his answer, So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, Matthew says. So, that's pointing back to in the midst of this 70 week prophecy. Um, what was that about? Daniel. Uh, they're in Babylon. Israel had been taken over, destroyed. Babylonians came in and took Israel captive. God said it was going to happen. He said, this is my judgment on you. You're going to be in Babylon. Um, and, and here's Daniel, a little bit later in his life now. And he's reading from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who was there before they went into exile, telling them, through God, you know, God t- saying through Jeremiah, you're about to go into exile. Repent. They didn't repent, and guess what? They went into exile. But he's reading from Prophet Jeremiah, and, and he's reading how the exile is going to be for 70 years. And he gets down on his knees, and he prays for, be, uh, and petitions God, and he confesses the sins of his nation. And it's an incredible prayer that we should take as an example prayer of how to just plead before God. Well, God answers it by sending an angel, Right? Gabriel. That would be incredible for God to answer a prayer like that. Gabriel shows up, right? It's not a vision or anything. It's actually an angel shows up, and he has a word for him. And so what we have uh, in this Daniel chapter 9 passage is a word from Gabriel. And he says, sorry, Daniel, it's not just 70 years. It's 77s is literally what it says. And and, and in the translation, it says 70 weeks. It's weeks of years is what is apparent there. That's a lot more than 70. 70 times 7 is a lot. And here's what's going to happen. And and, and, uh, if we go into Daniel chapter 23, I didn't put a bookmark. I just had it. Bible drill. Daniel, chapter 9, verse 23. Gabriel said, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. I love that. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks, or literally seventy sevens, are decreed about your people and your holy city. What are the seventy weeks about? They're about your people, Israel, and your city, Jerusalem. So we can add to that picture, uh, if we jump in, seventy weeks are about the nation of Israel and Jerusalem. At least that's what seems to be plainly written. That's not accepted by everybody, but I'm going to say, it's a squirrel. Look, it seems to say that the 70 weeks are about Daniel's people and his city. And go back to verse 24. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Here's what it's going to bring about. And, there, and, if, and just to, to quickly uh, summarize that, there's three things having to do with sin and then three things having to do with righteousness. Right? To finish the transgression. Daniel's just been confessing the transgressions of his people. To put an end to sin. 
Praise God. God is going to do away with sin. I can't wait. And to atone for iniquity, he's going to bring atonement, forgiveness. Right? He's going to somehow take care of our sin and the penalty for our sin. Um, and then he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Boy, I want that in my life. He's going to seal both vision and prophet. We talked about there's going to be a time when all of it is done. Jesus says there's going to be a time when every, every last thing is done. It's going to be, there's not going to be a need for vision or prophet anymore. It's all going to be completed. We're all going to know him. We're not going to need any more vision, any more prophecy. And then ultimately, and to anoint a most holy place. And this is the place Daniel's just been praying about. What is the most holy place? It is Jerusalem. It's the temple. All right. There's what the 70 weeks is going to bring about. I've already got some information. If someone tells me different, then I'll just ask, well, how does this fit? Maybe, maybe you're right, but it sure seems like this is what this is about, right? Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again. It's helpful when you read through Scripture to read in multiple versions of the Bible. Because sometimes they'll make a decision, because it's hard. They're, they're like, oh, it could, it could be this, it could be that. In this case, the placement of a period makes a big difference in how it reads. And there's a footnote in the ESV that says, well, it might also read this way. They just chose to do it this way. If I look at this in the NASB, well, actually, first, still in the ESV, notice there's a period. Um, I've got two periods of time, right? No, understand from the beginning, from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, period. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat. So it sounds like, in this case, that the prince comes after seven weeks. So that would be seven weeks of years, 49 years. Well, look at it in the NASB. Um, so you need to know and understand that from the issuing of a decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince... There will be seven weeks and city two. <laughs> 62 weeks. That has an accent to it. It will be built again with streets and moat, uh, even in times of distress. So it could be one or the other. In this case, it sounds like that prince comes after seven and 62, which is how many? 69, right? Well, I can... I've got some information here. When does this time period start? Go back to the beginning of it. Um, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It's so funny, and this is what, the, what uh, our, our Sir, what's his name? Sir Robert Anderson was frustrated with is all of the attempts to find Dates, this is a time, so Persia had already taken over, or, or per, Persia was, t was taking over Babylon, um, and so they went from the beginning of King Darius, and they, they picked all these different start times, and well, what does this say? It sure sounds like it says, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild, so let's go look and try to find an issuing of a decree to restore and build Jerusalem as the start, starting time, and then see, is it seven weeks of years, or is it seven plus all the way out to 69 weeks of years that has something meaningful. Um, so if we, I think I have a slide for that. So we can add to our picture now. It's from the going out of the Word to restore and build, right? And I've got a date there. Where did I find that date? Well, if I go into Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah, after Persia came in, took over... Um, Babylon, and you still have the Jews there. Nehemiah was a Jew who was the cupbearer for the king. He was the one to sip the drink for the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned before it would go to the king. What a great job to have. Um, 
And so you see at the beginning, uh, chapter 2 in Nehemiah says, in the month of Nisan, the, the Jewish calendar is completely different than ours. It's based on, uh, it's a lunar calendar based on uh, the moon. Our calendar is based on rotations around the sun, right? Um, so the month of Nisan is based on uh, when the new moon comes. Uh, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, okay, this is a time that actually we have a lot of record for when this is, right? When wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. After sipping a little, make sure it's not poisoned. Um, now I had been sad in his presence. Um, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why is he afraid? You're not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. It looks bad for him, right? And you, could, you can get in trouble for that. What follows is the king saying, why are you sad? And he says, well, my people, my, my home is in destruction, Jerusalem. I can't help but be sad. And what happens after that? He makes a decree. Nehemiah with people should have safe passage to go back and rebuild. There's my decree. And I have strong evidence in God's word for a start time, right? And so what did, what did our Mr. Robert, I need to memorize, Sir Robert Anderson, uh, what, what did he do? Uh, well, he called up uh, the Royal Observatory in Greenwich. He said, can you give me a date for Nisan, the beginning of the month of Nisan, right? Uh, in in uh, 445 BC, they knew that because of uh, the evidence around King Artaxerxes there. And the observatory came back, said, well, based on the starting of the moon, we're looking at March 14th. That's when that was. All right, I've got a start date, March 14th, 445 BC. And we have a start date. So there we got. Going out March 14th, 445 BC. B.C. Maybe it's not exact. Maybe it is. But we've got something that matches Scripture. So back in Daniel, uh, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word, or I guess I'm in NASB. Um, so you are to know and understand that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until... What? Messiah. The prince. There's going to be these two periods of time. Seven weeks, right? But let's look at We can fill out our chart a little bit more now. Uh, what I'm going from the Seishuan decree to an anointed one. A Messiah, that's what literally is anointed one. A prince. There's going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks. 69 weeks of years. Um, what's, what's the seven weeks for? Uh, what seems apparent to me is that's when they did finally end up building the temple. That makes sense. I actually haven't gone through to go figure out if that makes sense in, in the amount of years, but 49 years seems about right. So let's go, go ahead and put the temple on the yellow dot there. Bling. Nice. Good job, Alex, back there. All right, so... God's saying, here's what's going to happen. Does that add up? Who would be the anointed one of prince? Jesus. I See, there it is. The answer is Jesus. It's not squirrel. Well, figuring out that time, our chief investigator went in and did the calculations. You've got a couple things going on. Uh, it is a lunar calendar, and it's what we have in, in prophecy, is a prophetic year is 360 days. Uh, it's what they would have used in Babylon at that time. Every month is 30 days. And when you talk about months, you're talking about 30 days. When you're talking about year, it's 1230s. It's 360. That's where we get our 360 degrees for a cycle, right? Um, and so when, you're when, when prophecy is happening, and we see this in Revelation everywhere, just figure when it says a year, it's talking about 360 days. So You've got to figure that here is that 360 uh, years, sevens of that many weeks, right? 
And then you also got to figure when you go from B.C. to A.D., just keep in mind that there is no year zero. And so uh, the year after uh, B.C. 1 is A.D. 1, right? And, and they don't say them that way. 1 B.C. is A.D. 1, whatever. So there's no year zero. Keep that in, in mind, right? And then you have Julian calendar, calendars and Gregorian calendars, and you have the way that Jews like to do things with inclusive uh, days, like when it's like, well, how long from Jesus' death to, to, uh, to resurrection? And we say, well, it went from Friday to Sunday. That's two days. No, they, they do inclusive uh, accounting, reckoning of days, so it's, you can include that first day. So anyway, he did the work. I'm going to say, good job. Um, where did that land him? 7 plus 62 is 69 weeks, which is 483 Jewish years, 360-day years, landed him on April 6th, A.D. 32. What was April 6th, A.D. 32? It was a Sunday. It was Palm Sunday. When a the only time Jesus would have been considered a prince. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. I'd say it works out. What did Jesus say as he caught sight of Jerusalem coming in on that day? Look at Luke chapter 19. When he drew near the city, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground, and your, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time. Oh, it was given to you. You did not know the time of your visitation. What's Jesus talking about? The judgment about to come on Jerusalem in 70 A.D. You know what we see in Daniel coming up here? Let's go back to Daniel. The next verse, in verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, so after the, the prince comes, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. That's talking about the death of the anointed one. That's what Jesus did right after that as he went to the cross. And the people of the prince, <clears throat> now this is one, now understand, we're talking about a, not an anointed prince, but the prince who is to come is a different prince, and the people of that prince shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Who destroyed the city? Rome destroyed the city. The people of the prince to come. The prince to come is talking about the Antichrist. We're not going to go into all of that, but I can look in a lot of other places to make that connection. This is the Antichrist. And so the Antichrist is connected to what people? Rome. If someone says otherwise, I'm just going to go and say, well, it sure seems like Antichrist is connected to Rome, right? And there's other connections with that as well as we get into other prophecy. But in some way, you should be able to call Rome or the nations that ultimately came out of Rome um, the people of the Antichrist. And, and then it's talking about the destruction of the temple shall come with a flood. This is what happened in 70 AD. And then it says, and to the end there shall be war. What does that look like? <clears throat> Last week, there'll be wars. So that this time that's going to lead until the end. The end is not yet, but there shall be wars and rumors of wars till the end. It, it seems to fit with Matthew. And that's the kind of things we just look for. Does it seem to fit? Um, I'm sure Sir Robert 
had many times when he had a piece of evidence and he had built a case that he thought he had it all figured out, but that piece of evidence didn't fit his case. And that's sometimes what we have to do with Scripture. We start to build a case. This is what this is. But if there's a piece that doesn't fit, what do you got to do? Sometimes just start over, right? Well, something's wrong with my case. Maybe there's something to it, but every piece is going to fit. This seems to fit with the beginning of Matthew and the time before the end. Desolations are decreed. Now, just because it uses the word desolations doesn't mean this is the desolation with the abomination that Jesus uh, ultimately says, look at. Um, in fact, we have in Luke, when it describes the destruction of the temple, it uses the word desolation. But when you see Luke chapter 21, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are in the country enter it. It sounds similar to the end, but it's not exactly similar. Pay attention to details. This is the destruction of the temple. This is not quite as bad as what's going to be later, but it's very similar. Um, you do need to flee Judea and don't go back in, right? This is more of what was happening then. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for, this sounds very similar, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth in wrath specifically against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. What have we seen of the Jews for the past 2,000 years? This, right? And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. What have we seen of Jerusalem for the past 2,000 years? It's been trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Until, when will that end? Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We're in the times of the Gentiles. This situation that began with the destruction of the temple is going to continue until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So we can fill out our picture a little bit more. 69 weeks, and then I have, it's no longer about Israel and Jerusalem. It's about the Gentiles. There's still a week left. Right? We haven't finished the 70 weeks. There's one left, but this is a time that Jesus said is a time of the Gentiles. Right? And, and in this time, Israel's trampled. Israel doesn't have a home. And it's interesting reading people like Sir Robert because in his time, Israel wasn't even a nation yet. And they would talk about, well, for this to, the final things to happen, something unimaginable needs to happen. Israel needs to be a nation again. They need to have a temple. What did we see in the mid-1900s? They became a nation again. And that got a lot of people excited. You could see why. Oh, are we almost to the end of the time of the Gentiles? All right. Verse 20. Let's go back. Well, verse, I think I had the wrong one. Verse 25. Um, so we have the people, the prince who is to come shall destroy the city, the sanctuary, and its, its end shall come with a flood. To, to the end there shall be war, and rumors of wars, according to Jesus. Desolations are decreed. This is a desolation of the temple of the people of Israel. Also, the first destruction of the temple described as desolations. Something that we see often in prophecy and this is just to the glory of God. That there's fulfillments of prophecy that happen intermediately that aren't the full fulfillment but are similar. And God does this for His own glory that we'll see it's going to be like this. It's going to be like that. Babylon itself is a type of what's going to be at the end. And, and so we need to just be careful that even as we say, oh, here it is, I figured it out, there's the fulfillment of the prophecy, to not be so arrogant as to say God's done fulfilling that prophecy. Elijah was the fulfillment, or 
John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the coming Elijah. I'm not going to then say, oh, well, there isn't yet another greater fulfillment of that. Jesus riding into, the, into Jerusalem on a donkey was a fulfillment of prophecy, but, but we, we know that that's not the ultimate fulfillment. And that often happens. And so even as this destruction of Jerusalem and the temple is a picture of something even more devastating that's going to come. And that's what we see then next in Daniel uh, in verse 27. Um, and he, talking about uh, the prince who is to come, right? The Antichrist. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. There's a week. We got our last week. For 70 weeks, we got a week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations, there it is. Jesus said, go look at what Daniel wrote. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Right? That is the Antichrist. All right. Let's update our picture. And I'm pulling some stuff out. I'm not going to... You can check me later. There's three big things in here. A strong covenant's going to be made. That enters our week. I got our nice little pen, right? Strong covenant's going to be made. And then halfway through the week, and this, it's helpful to go and look at other, this isn't the only place the Bible talks about this. Halfway through the week, an abomination is going to be set up in the temple, right? So it appears this Antichrist is going to do something with Jerusalem. It's going to be, or it's a strong covenant, People say with Jerusalem. It says with many. I think we can get a sense of how Jerusalem can be involved in a covenant with many. We just saw the Abraham Accords, right? That's an important thing. I don't think that's a, it's not a covenant for seven years of what was the Abraham Accords, but it's, you realize that for Israel to become a nation and to build their temple, there needs to be, perhaps, this is how it's going to work out, some kind of a covenant among the nations in that area for, to allow Israel to go in and build a temple. It's going to appear, I think, that this Antichrist is a friend of Israel, right? But halfway through the week, it's going to go bad. And this is what Jesus is pointing. The halfway through the week is what Jesus is pointing to as his disciples are saying, what is the sign when you see that abomination? Get out of town. It's going to get really really bad, and there will be great tribulation. So the great tribulation is actually the second half of that week is what it appears to me, right? It seems to be the most plain reading of it. Until the end of the desolator, right? And that's going to be at the end of that week is going to be the end of the desolator, there's so much more in there. But here's a picture. And as we get into the next parts, we're going to get the return of Christ. That's an important piece of this. The return of Christ in all of this. The Jews are going to recognize the abomination of desolation. They've seen it before. I think that's where Matthew's saying, let the reader understand. The reader should understand. Daniel also prophesies and Chapter 11, where he's basically laying out. This is where, where historians who don't believe the Bible just really hate it because it's so detailed of everything that happened really in, in that 69 weeks, right? Here, here's what's going to happen. And in it, um, it, it gives a clear picture of the work that Antiochus, is that how you say his name? The fourth, Epiphanes, um, in 167 B.C., comes in and does. We see in Daniel 11, 31. Uh, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. The Jews already used the term abomination of desolation. 
because they have this just seared into their minds of this terrible event that happened when Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, remember Jesus, or God, both the same, in prophecy will create types in history to point you towards. Here's what it's going to be like. And they have a clear picture of what it's going to be like. Here's MacArthur's notes on what happened at that time. He says, Antiochus soldiers, no doubt working with apostate Jews, guarded the temple, halting all worship, while others attacked the city on the Sabbath, slaughtering men, women, and children. Soldiers desecrated Israel's temple, banning circumcision and daily sacrifices, and sacrificing a pig on the altar. The Syrians uh, on uh, Kislev even imposed an idol statue in honor of the Olympian god Zeus into the temple. Jews call it the abomination of desolation. So as Matthew is saying, let the reader understand. Jesus is saying, when you see this, they're going to see this. And what seems most obvious to me is it's going to be a real temple and a real abomination. Why else would it be so... I'm, it seems the plain understanding of it. There's a lot of different views on what this is going to be. I think the plain understanding is just Jesus is giving them a clear picture. When you see this happening in a future temple, the temple needs to be built, right? It could be that that strong contract is what brings about the possibility of building a temple. That might be the beginning of the seven years. But halfway through that seven years, this is going to happen. And the Jews need to run. Is that weak about the Gentiles? If I go back, it seems like the 70 weeks are about Israel and Jerusalem. Here's my final point as I just contemplate all this stuff. I could save this on every sermon. Trust God. Trust God. And when we, when we interpret Scripture, a lot, of, a lot of that is just simply taking Him at His word. God said it. All right. This is what seems to be the case. I'm not perfect, so I'm going to understand some things wrong. But I know that His word is right. Trust it. Here's the final picture. God's plan. Right? That seems scary. Do I need to be scared? I need to be scared when, when I hear things in the news about wars and rumors of wars. No, I don't, because I'm trusting God. My hope is in Him. My hope is in His Word. I love that we have such an almighty God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are the almighty God. Uh, some, something unimaginable that we can't even wrap our heads around is that the Almighty God would put on flesh to, to experience our weakness, to experience the temptation of sin. A holy God to, to put Himself in a place to experience flesh. But you were without sin. You were perfect in every way. Holy without blemish, and as the perfect sacrifice, you went to the cross for us. Your plan, your design, willingly, according to everything you had said you would do, you did it. You finished the work so that our sin could be paid for. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. And as we look at the things to come, God, I, I'm a little overwhelmed to consider what it's going to be. But I know that you have designed it. You have, uh, in, 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 even in the midst of declaring judgment, of declaring what will be payment, uh, that, that the blood of, of every believer who has been shed, every martyr, God, you are going to avenge that blood. That's a fearful thing when we consider all the years of that. But God, you are just... And even in the midst of that, God, you are merciful and you are good. You're more than I can imagine. We love you, Lord. Help us not to be worried. Help us not to be fearful. As the signs of the times are increasing, as we get closer to the end, help us simply to
to rest and trust in you. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
And I will seek your face. Sing it out, church. In this holy place. And I will fall to my knees. And I will worship you. And in the midst of my song, you're the light of my life. In my heart, in my fear, I should stop being surprised when God puts together an ending song that fits so well. I don't need to understand. I don't need to know the plan. All I need is Him. Incredible truth in those words. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.